The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. You said no shots. This isn't a shot, sweetheart. It'll just... You'll just giggle, and then you'll feel a little sleepy. <laughs> That's right. And when you wake up, do you know where you'll be? Where? With Santa Claus at the North Pole. In fact, you'll live with Santa Claus for the rest of your life. Hey, there's no such thing as Santa Claus. What? You don't believe in Santa? I don't know. My parents told me never to breathe anything from strangers. Hey, what are you guys doing? They said if we breathe this, we could go to the North Pole and see Santa Claus. That's so sick. Hey! Welcome everyone. It is Thursday, July the 12th, 2018. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. Now just imagine someone telling young children in the process of euthanizing them, that when they wake up, they'll be with Santa Claus and for the rest of their existence. Sounds sick? (laughs) Well, it is. But it's absolutely no different from what MSNBC has been telling their audiences about the major poison of politics. They're calling it democratic socialism, and that's just one of the highlights of our continuing series on left and right today, and on the mythology of the political spectrum, which just never seems to go away. Don't forget, you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org, subscribe to Just Right on iTunes and on SoundCloud, hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave, visit us at www.justrightmedia.org, where you can access all of Just Right's social media links and, of course, all of our archive broadcasts. Now, as with last week, we'll kick off the show with some of your feedback on our left and right presentations. Feedback that seems to always be expanding the discussion beyond our original context and intention. Last week we were talking about fascism, force, and the left, and we referred to Isabel Patterson, author of God of the Machine, quote, it is a mistake to say that government is force, force is what is governed, and the great political choice facing mankind is, and always has been, whether that force should be governed by the left or by the right, or by both. Think about that for a second, because that's a theme we'll be looking at near the end of the show today. Now, in our continuing discussion about left and right, we've already pretty much demonstrated, I think, that fascism in all its forms is a direct manifestation of the left. But beyond the continual misrepresentation that fascism sits on the right, there are still many other popular misinterpretations of the political spectrum, quote-unquote, that again require remedy. And here's another one, like the notion that anarchy sits on the right. Now, of course, last week we also talked about degrees of force, and we pointed out that both in theory and practice there's no such thing in politics as degrees of force, no more than there are degrees of death or pregnancy. Either you're using force or you're not. So these are some of the basic points that we were trying to get across in our last couple of shows, and that's what this feedback is reacting to. 
nice comment from Kristen B., who said, good read, and to which our regular listener, Murray T., replied, if you think the reading is good, you should listen to the show. This week and last week were exceptional for these chaotic times. And thank you, Murray. Dave M. writes, The only thing I take issue with is that the left is not expanding. It's shrinking. However, in the shrinkage, the left is getting increasingly more vocal and violent because their ideology is dying, which then requires even more extreme acts. This creates an ever-increasing problem that, as violence increases, management becomes more difficult and extra jails have to be built to contain the quote-unquote disease. Well, I think Dave's making a fairly valid observation there on one hand, that maybe the left within the general populace is shrinking. But don't expect that to stay that way. And we weren't talking about the left growing or shrinking. We're talking about the government moving left or right. It's not a growth and shrinking pattern. You could have a very small group of elitist leftists who are controlling the government and will move the entire nation to the left regardless of how its people feel. It's one thing to believe that there are fewer leftists today than yesterday. That would be nice to believe. I, I don't, can't, can't really bring myself to do it. But it's quite another to believe that it's happening in institutionalized America or Canada or even Europe. I mean, those institutions are as left as they were before. And the fear is, my fear, is that by the time they can be properly dismantled or even redirected, the popular opinion can always switch back to the left, which has been the pattern of democratic voting that follows most political and economic crisis as you see them develop throughout history. Because you know what happens? The right always sits down and takes a rest when they make a victory, whereas the left never sleeps, and never takes a rest. They just keep going. Now here are some feedback to our show two weeks ago when we were talking about still getting it wrong about left and right. But here basically is a quick lineup of some of the examples that you would find under the left and the right column. And remember, there is no in-between, no middle of the road, there's no center when you are presented with binary options. So on the left, you have the condition of tyranny, on the right, freedom. And so here we can contrast left and right, collectivism versus individualism, socialism, communism, and fascism, which are all the same thing with capitalism, censorship with freedom of speech, restricted and prohibited trade on the left with free trade on the right, group rights versus individual rights, left and right, mysticism and subjectivism on the left with reason on the right, Coercion on the left with consent on the right, major factors there. Altruism on the left with rational self-interest on the right. And things like autocracy versus democracy, various forms of government that are simply not democratic. And there's a lot of other terms that we could compare, but that's just basically a, a small sampling to which one of our feedback folks on Facebook wrote, and this is from Jim S. He says, very good comparisons. And I say, thank you, Jim. For that, we think so too because they're consistent and there are no flaws or contradictions in them and they work every time. Now here is a classic mis- misunderstanding about left and right from Brad C. who says, From left to right, all government to no government. <laughs> oh boy, how these gradualist notions persist, I'm telling you. I can understand why. I mean, this is the same argument we addressed last week. 
that from left to right we have a progression from extreme force to degrees of force in the center to no force on the right. I mean, it's the same here. You either have government or you don't. There is no third choice. You can't just have some government in the center. Moreover, government is the key component of both left and right, just like force was. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a political polarity. What we are governing is force. Then Salvador P. writes, quote, You forgot, to the left of the spectrum is democratic mob rule anarchy, a total disrespect for authority, atheism, and a complete and utter rejection of proven societal norms and safety concerns of the community in favor of the pursuit of self. The left categorically rejects the law and its Judeo-Christian underpinnings and its positive effect on Western civilization, the evolution of a free market system, and effective self-government. To the right of the spectrum, there's a complete respect for a supreme being, proven societal norms, safety concerns, and property rights. The right categorically embraces the need for law as well as the importance of its underpinnings. The right recognizes a critical need for the study and constant evolution of the many discoveries and key advancements of Western civilization and the critical need for people to submit and to abide by agreed-upon laws in order to self-govern by representation rather than be thrown into the democratic anarchy. Spoiled, maladjusted children disrespect the lives and property of others, thinking the individual is a paramount and pursue only the self. Versus well-adjusted, stable children who maintain a healthy respect for the lives and property of others and understand that with freedom comes responsibility and service to others, end quote. Well, thank you, Salvador, for presenting to us yet another and yet very mixed understanding of left and right. I mean, I, I agree with a lot of the associations you've made there, and of course there's a lot that I don't agree with. I can only, only have time to pick out the key ones. First, once again... Let's be clear, there's no spectrum of ideology. It's either left or right. Now, you're correct in saying that anarchy sits on the left and represents democratic mob rule, which is just another way of describing democratic socialism, which we'll hear a little bit more about a little later on. Atheism, however, is a moot point, just as any belief in any particular religions. Atheists and religious people exist on both the left and the right, and it's utterly irrelevant to any distinctions between left and right, except in the most superficial of ways. But to suggest that the left represents, quote, complete and utter rejection of proven societal norms and safety concerns of the community in favor of the pursuit of self, end quote, I think is so far from the reality of the situation, it's kind of hard to figure out how you came to this conclusion. The left is all about collectivism. It's not about the self. It's about the group. The leftist Nazi party, the Nationalist Socialist Party of Germany in 1920, declared, quote, the activities of the individual must not be allowed to clash with the interests of the community, end quote. The left has always been about the collective, even, you know, in the most distorted of political spectrums. While only the right has been associated with the pursuit of, quote, unquote, self and rational self-interest. Spoiled, maladjusted children disrespect the lives and property of others, thinking the individual is paramount, and pursue only the self, you argue. With freedom comes responsibility and service to others. Well, you know, I'm reminded of that work as freedom slogan used by the Nazi, you know, Arbeit macht frei, you know, it, it, it's the German phrase meaning work sets you free. 
and the slogan was best known for appearing on the entrance of places like Auschwitz and other Nazi concentration camps. Service to others. This was the core of so many leftist ideologies. Because for the left, service to others, when exercised by government, always means the sacrifice of some to the unearned benefit of others. And service to others is the demand of duty to the selfishness of those others, isn't it? And the others, in turn, are expected to sacrifice themselves for the needs of yet other people. And it's a forced service. It's not a voluntary one. And it's always a circular thing. Who's really servicing who? Now, a marketplace takes care of that quite automatically. But when you're doing it by force, there's no service being performed. And again, what's governed is always force. Service is irrelevant in the context of left and right. Another way of describing service to others when expressed in political terms is slavery. Rudy C. writes, The most accurate scale is all authoritarian forms of government on the left, anarchy on the right, and limited constitutional government in the center. End quote. Wow, here we go with yet another variant of the so-called spectrum that really shuffles the cards. You know, that description, Rudy's description, would suggest that limited constitutional government, which he's put in the middle, is a mix of anarchy, which he put on the right, with totalitarianism, which he put on the left. And that's just a complete contradiction. Worse, with anarchy on the right, then you've effectively eliminated the right from the spectrum entirely. There is no right at all in this description. Anarchy is, and always has been, both historically and philosophically, on the left. Limited constitutional government is a property of the right. Quote, Anarchism, a social philosophy that rejects authoritarian government and maintains that voluntary institutions are best suited to express many natural social tendency, end quote, is the definition found in the Encyclopedia of Philosophy, published by Macmillan and Free Press. Now, that definition tells it all. The problem is the voluntary institutions, quote-unquote, assumed to remain voluntary when in practice. These voluntary institutions always end up being some form of government, quote-unquote, or another, or worse, competing agencies of force, as is so often argued by anarchists and libertarians. I mean, it's a complete collapse of of all thinking. It just does not work. And I can't tell you how many arguments I've been with anarchists over the years who cannot resolve the obvious contradiction when you ask them. They just stomp out on the rumor they get angry at you. You know, and then there was Murray Rothbard's anarcho-capitalism. I mean, give me a break. Historically, anarchism has been associated with mutualism, collectivism, communism, capitalism, Syndicalism and passivism, says this encyclopedia of philosophy. But one thing that anarchy has never been associated with is individual freedom and individual rights, as these both require the enshrinement of a constitutionally limited government dedicated to the protection of life, liberty, and property. So anarchy sits firmly on the left. Ayn Rand noted that anarchy as a political concept is a naive floating abstraction. A society without an organized government would be at the mercy of the first criminal who came along and who would precipitate it into the chaos of gang warfare. Even a society whose every member were fully rational and faultlessly moral could not function in a state of anarchy. It is the need of objective laws and of an arbiter for honest disagreements 
that necessitates the establishment of government, end quote. So, of course, the belief that anarchy sits on the right is in stark contrast to those who think that fascism sits on the right. Think about it for a minute. These two notions of the right, with either anarchy or fascism sitting there, are utterly polar extremes. It's like all government or no government. There's nothing else left to put on any imaginary political spectrum anymore since they're all, if both these assumptions are correct. I mean, if both of the extremes are on the right, what could the middle or left possibly be? They wouldn't exist at all. But when it comes to anarchy and its most popular proponents, perhaps the best representative of anarchism and other undefined political concepts, is the libertarian movement, which at its best is a social movement, not a political one. A social movement on the left, by the way, where both its history and philosophy originate. Now here's Freedom Party leader Paul McKeever in conversation about this very issue, Libertarians and Anarchy, from Tom McConnell's May 31st AM radio broadcast aired during the last Ontario provincial election. Candidates in Niagara, you have some, you have one in London Fanshawe, London North Centre, London West, Elgin Middlesex, London, and you have elsewhere, I mean, uh, Oxford County, but all the way up, Ottawa Vanier, Haldeman Norfolk, Davenport, uh, but I have a lot of libertarian candidates. Is there is it a nominal difference, or is there a marked difference between the Freedom Party candidates and those who describe themselves as libertarian candidates? Yeah, they're diametrically opposed. Uh, Ontario Libertarian Party is Ontario's <clears throat> radical anarchist party. I mean, if that party, if you look at this platform, every single plank is get government out of it. Uh, the party sees the government as the one and only enemy of mankind and the, the sole source of all evil. And, and I, I got a couple of quotes because I get this question often, uh, Tom. Let me yeah. just read a couple of quotes from the party leader, the libertarian party leader. Quote, it does not help our cause to advocate anarcho-capitalist market solutions to non-libertarians. No one outside the libertarian community will understand we need to use a sort of rhetorical camouflage and develop an arsenal of well-chosen words, phrases, and talking points that allows us to infiltrate the political conversation in Ontario without being labeled as kooks. That's one. That's recent. Here's another one. Uh, if we libertarians are attempting to bring about a new world order, one, at, one person at a time, then we must include everyone within our fold, anarchists, statists, and collectivists of all stripes, and everything in between. That, again, is the Libertarian Party leader, Alan Small. We are the exact opposite of that. The Freedom Party is in favor of a government that does its job better. We want government that deals with the bad guys so that the rest of us can go out and pursue our own happiness in our own ways. All right, so there is a role for government in in, in people's lives. As, as I said, someone's got to pave the road, someone's got to cut the grass. Well, you we bet. can contract it out. So there, We have to have some government. So, so libertarians are more for getting government out. You're more for maybe smaller government, but but being smarter government. You bet. Our, our goal is letting, making sure that everyone can pursue their own happiness by getting, getting rid of the things that threaten that, right? The things that take away your ability to choose. When people hold a gun to your head, your next-door neighbor, uh, you know, uh, someone steals your money, someone breaks your car. The government needs to be there to set laws, to enforce laws, so that you can peacefully pursue your own, your own happiness in your own way. Welcome back to Velshi and Rule with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's primary win Tuesday night here in New York. 
the term democratic socialism was the most searched term on Merriam-Webster's website. So what are we talking about here? The word most people focus on is socialism. But while democratic socialists pull some ideas from that ideology, they are not traditional socialists. There is no call for communal ownership of production. Here's what else it is not. Communism. Most people use communism and socialism interchangeably, even Karl Marx. But communism is a political ideology, while socialism centers more on economics. They're related, but none of this has to do with democratic socialists. What they do call for is the enactment of certain socialist ideas through the democratic process, meaning everyone has a vote on whether they are a good idea or not. In many countries, democratic socialists work alongside other parties in broad coalitions. Their goal is to control prices of essential services like medicine, banking regulations, affordable education, and the ability to work. All sounds reasonable. All of that is in the effort to minimize economic inequality and allow everyone in society to not just survive, but have the ability to thrive and enjoy life, a concept they call bread and roses. And if you think some of these ideas are too alien to American culture, Take a look at this. Social Security is a pension system run by the government. Mm -hmm. Medicaid and Medicare are government-run medical services. Mm -hmm. Even Amtrak is a government-owned transportation system. All of these are hallmarks of democratic socialist policy. Right. This is the important part. Uh, but joining us now, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the Democratic... Wow. wow, that was just simply unbelievable what we just heard there. Completely outrageous, monumentally evil. For all the same reasons that the people euthanizing the young children in our show opener today were evil. Or, or were they just sick? <laughs> Maybe both. And it's so self-evident that everything that Stephanie Rule on MSNBC just said there was BS, without even having to go outside her own words to demonstrate that. I mean, you don't need any other resources or sources. You know, democratic socialism. There's another one of those adjectives in front of a word to denote something that it's not. And that's the purpose here. They even said so. So if Social Security, Medicare, and Amtrak are what they're selling as the hallmarks of democratic socialist policy, then their argument is moot, because I've got news for them. And understand this. A socialist policy without the democratic part would result in exactly the same hallmarks. So what we've all just heard, ladies and gentlemen, is a real-life repeat of our show opener today in which the children were told that the poison they were drinking would be the road to Santa Claus. And in both cases, the fiction and the real, it absolutely is sick. And the contradictions and irrationality within their very pronouncement is just beyond embarrassing. Get this, quote, Democratic socialists are not the same as traditional socialists. There is no call for communal ownership of production. End quote. And then after having declared that utter lie, she proceeds to prove that she's lying. Quote, Social Security is a pension system run by government. Medicare, a government-run medical service. Amtrak, a government-owned transportation system. All of these are hallmarks of democratic socialist policy. End quote. So there you have explicit communal ownership of production. Only a government, by the way, has the gun to enforce the communal spirit of collective ownership. And then the government owns whatever it owns. It's never the community that owns it. You have shares 
and all the government assets? Do you know what they're worth? Can you cash them in? Can you trade them? You don't own nothing. It's, it's just such a lie. All of these communal schemes operate on a single principle that is robbing Peter to pay Paul with the expectations that the Peters will always be there to rob and the Pauls will always be there to vote for the people putting these kinds of policies in. Another glaring contradiction and lie. Quote, socialism is not communism. Most use communism and socialism interchangeably, even Karl Marx. But communism is a political ideology, while socialism centers more on economics, end quote. Holy cow. Well, first, Karl Marx used the terms interchangeably because he wasn't lying to anybody like she is. Because socialism and communism are the same thing, and both are political ideologies, for heaven's sakes. I mean, Stephanie Rule proves that point when she said, quote, Democratic socialists call for the enactment of certain socialist ideas, end quote. Hello? Socialist ideas? <laughs> I mean, that's called ideology, Stephanie. Socialist ideology. When you call for their enactment, you are a socialist or a communist or even a fascist, since these are all just differing forms of socialism. Not an ideology. Too stupid for words. Quote, their goal is to control prices of essential services, end quote. After having said that democratic socialists don't call for the communal ownership of production, again, this contradicts that. Because if you want to control prices... You have to control either the supply or the demand of a given service or product, or both. If government owns the production of that service or product, it's called communism or socialism. But if the government doesn't own but only controls the supply and demand of a given service or product, then that's called fascism. Either way, government runs the show. Or if you live in Canada, it's called supply management. <laughs> And if you haven't figured it out yet, all this talk about democratic is just pure BS. It's totally irrelevant. Socialism is socialism, regardless of what BS adjective you try to put in front of it so that you can say it's not socialism, which is exactly what they're saying they're doing. They're not even hiding that. And isn't that exactly what we've been shouting on this show for years? That when you put any adjective in front of an already defined word, that adjective has only one meaning, and that meaning is not. So the people crying democratic socialism are doing so to boldly lie to us as they feed us their poison brew of socialism. Don't worry, it's not socialism, because you can vote to kill yourself. And what's democratic socialism all about at its heart? Quote, all of that is just the effort to minimize economic inequality and to allow everybody in society the ability not just to survive, but to thrive and enjoy life. A concept that they call bread and roses, end quote. <laughs> oh, my goodness. A concept they called Santa Claus in our opener today. Compare any socialist country to a capitalist one. And tell me that those on the more socialist side are not, quote, just able to survive, but to thrive. I mean, East Berlin and West Berlin. Remember them? How about North Korea and South Korea? How about the United States and just about any other country in the so-called Eastern Bloc, Russia, China, all the rest? But on one count, MSNBC Stephanie Rule had it right. Countries of the left are very good at minimizing economic inequality. Because, after all, the entire nation is more equally 
poor, more equally impoverished, while the elite in that nation are equally enriched. Socialism works great that way. I can't argue that point. And by the way, everything that Stephanie Rule was saying about socialism and democratic socialism was almost word for word the same as what Hitler and the Nazi party declared in 1920. It's remarkable how people cannot connect the dots between the ideology and the consequence, no matter how many times repeated in history. So a question arises before we continue with all the confusion about left and right and all the labels people use to disguise the true polarity of each. How do we possibly get the real news out there when fake news and fake definitions like the stuff coming out of MSNBC permeates the airwaves and internet? Well, you can get engaged yourself, and that's what we're doing here at Just Right. And in so doing, we have found that for anyone on the right, getting the message out online will become increasingly difficult over time. I'm sure that most of you don't even have a clue about some recent changes at Facebook, about which I'll have more to say following our next bumper break. But from the same June 20th conversation we featured last week on the show, here again are Gad Sad and Candace Owens discussing the importance of becoming engaged online in order to help undo so much of the damage being done by the kinds of things we just heard on that MSNBC propaganda piece. What I'd like for you to weigh in on is something that I often try to compel my viewers to do, which is getting engaged. I always explain to them that, look, different people have different skill sets, different platforms. Some are you know, well-known professors, others are diplomats, and others are just people who start with a YouTube channel out of nowhere without a prior name, and then they turn into Candace Owens with five <laughs> times more followers than yours truly. Uh, <laughs> uh, so maybe you could just kind of, because I think hearing that part of your story just might uh, motivate people that, hey, they do have a voice, they could get engaged. Right, and I don't think there's a better time to insert your voice than now. I think um, there are so many people that are looking for just realism, something that feels more authentic. Everything that is on TV feels inauthentic, it feels hyperbolic, it feels dishonest, um, and people are starting to turn to different ideas. It's the reason why you and Dr. Jordan Peterson um, are able to grow such a big platform because you're adding a level of sanity and realism. And that is the same for me. I just felt really passionate um, about the political climate. I felt that the Democrats had gotten extremely dishonest um, and aggressive with the fear politicking. And I decided, look, I know how this game works. I understand how they how they were able to brainwash black people into into believing that everybody was a racist. I'll, I'll beat them at their own game. I can be funny. I can, you know, YouTube allows anybody, I, initially, <laughs> before you get too big, YouTube will allow anybody to make a make a video and get out there and I just took a chance and that's the number one message that I have to students when they ask me oh what should I do I'm like what are you good at are you a writer are you a singer do you do plays go do that if, if I I happen to think I'm hilarious so I did videos <laughs> I think me and my family um you know we're constantly making fun of each other and we're always doing voices and calling each other names and that to me is, is really how the black community communicates through humor and laughter and love and you could say that that's true about any any blue collar community that's sort of how you get through struggle and I just said conservatives are taken so seriously like we don't know we don't have a sense of humor we don't know how to be funny what if I make these little five minute videos and and make fun of the left and it worked and I've, I've been very blessed on this journey and I hope that anybody watching this knows that I'm not a, I'm not some special person I'm just a person that had an idea and decided to give it a shot 
to me, it seems like such a no-brainer to get engaged. And I, I speak about this now as an academic, right? So many of my academic colleagues sort of live in this, you know, ivory tower where, you know, you don't go down to speak to the peasants, right? And, and I think that's such a tragic miscalculation because I can still do my very serious, rigorous scientific work that's published and peer-reviewed, but ultimately, I'm someone who creates and disseminates ideas. And if you give me now a tool whereby I could speak to Candace Owens and maybe later today there'll be 50,000 people who view it and it might change quite a few minds, why would I not take advantage of these opportunities? Right, that's exactly right, and I feel the exact same way. And by the way, there's more spirit on the ground. It feels better. Um, you feel like more like you're closer to your authentic self when you're speaking to regular people, and it, there, there's too much of this idea. And I see traces of this in the conservative community as well. That you know, there's something about being an academic that's highbrow. That you know, you shouldn't want to be on YouTube. You shouldn't want to um, use YouTube as a venue to communicate with people. And I think that those people are going to be worse off in time. This is the direction that the world is going to. I faced a lot of criticisms, you know, when I when I first started making videos because I intended them to be a flash in a pan. I intended them to be colloquial and conversational. I didn't want to be speaking above people's heads and and sounding like someone. I wanted to talk to them like I speak to my brothers and my sisters and my cousins. And I was called stupid. I was told that my platform was only big because I was an attractive girl. And, and I didn't care. You know, I, I understood what I was doing, and it was it was plausible that it was something that hadn't been done before. Um, and so I, I agree with you wholeheartedly in that assessment that um, you shouldn't listen to the naysayers. And this is it's it's a unique opportunity that we have, and we shouldn't look down upon it. All right, we'll do it your way. I'll log on the interface, and I'll tell them that we want the district closed. Not you, him. But funny, I, I would have nominated you. What? Is there something wrong with me? I could be as eloquent as the next guy. I'm sure you can. But they can't dismiss Webb as easily as you or me. He's got the face. He's got the family. He's a guy next door. And that's what they need to see. My name is Michael Webb. I used to be a plant manager at Chemtech Industries. I'm speaking for the residents of Sanctuary District A. We are holding six hostages. We don't want to hurt them. All we want is... What happened? Someone cut off our access to the interface. I knew it! I knew this was a waste of time! Mr. Webb, I'm Detective Preston from the SFPD. It's urgent that I speak with you. Did you shut off our access to the interface? I'm afraid it's department policy in these types of situations. Well, we certainly aren't anything close to being in the kind of situation for which the sanctuary spokesman got cut off from the interface <laughs> in that Deep Space Nine audio bite. But here at Just Right Media, we too have been cut off from access to what was previously accessible parts of our interface with Facebook. And I gotta tell you, the reasons are chilling. I'll bet most of you have not heard about this yet because it's something that's just very new. 
You are listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. And it's thanks to our financial supporters that it is possible for us to continue on our journey in the right direction and to share our programming with you and with the world. Check out patreon.com slash justrightmedia or visit www.justrightmedia.org to offer your financial support. And while you're there, be sure to sample our archived broadcasts featuring an array of timeless discussion of all things just right about freedom and capitalism. Now, of course, one of the key things we do with your contributions here is we spend it on advertising. And advertising is the best way we can introduce Just Right to new audiences who might find our shows to be to their liking. And, of course, one of the key social media advertising outlets has been Facebook, which allows sites like our own Just Right fan page for a fee paid to Facebook allows us to boost, what they call boost, a particular Facebook post to audiences currently not exposed to that post. And in so doing, we can target specific interest groups, like people interested in anything we might be talking about on the show. If we're talking about the economy, we can target people interested in business or economic matters. If we're talking about movies or TV, we can target people interested in those genres of entertainment. And if we're talking about Ontario politics, we can target Ontario residents, etc. You get the general idea. So you can well imagine our astonishment when we learn that Just Right can no longer boost its broadcasts and discussions to American audiences. A prohibition which just affected us for the first time a few weeks ago when we attempted to boost our show about Donald Trump's G7 visit to Canada. Not approved came back Facebook's notice. But even worse was the reasons it was not approved. Apparently, beginning on May 7th of this year, Anyone not residing in the United States can no longer target American audiences if their their Facebook discussions are deemed to be anything remotely resembling political discussions, even if those discussions have nothing to do with American politics. Now, of course, here we don't advertise for quote-unquote politics. What we're advertising is our radio show, our podcast, which could include discussions about any topic or about political issues in any country around the world, as we will be doing today. In other words, because we're here in Canada, we cannot boost our Facebook post to an American audience, although Americans who already have access to our Facebook page can certainly still be able to see it. But from now on, anything that's deemed to be quote-unquote political, Facebook is not going to allow us to promote it to the States. We didn't do enough, Zuckerberg admits, read the headline of the National Post back on April 11th of this year. And that's when he appeared before the, quote, rare joint hearing before the Senate's Commerce and Judiciary Committees, end quote, when Facebook was under fire for sharing confidential information that could be used to target political ads from abroad and some other concerns related to that same kind of thinking. So now I can tell you Zuckerberg is doing more than enough. (laughs) He has effectively shut off all Facebook advertising of any discussion, even remotely political, that does not originate in the U.S. And if you think that's bad, you folks in the States, you have it worse than we do. At least we're just cut off. (laughs) If you want to advertise something that's a political commentary or boost it on Facebook, it's going to be worse than filling out an income tax return. 
you know, I have to tell you, Facebook now apparently has a new mission to keep people from interacting with one another and to eventually prohibit all conversation about anything remotely political on its platforms. And now it's instituted a new policy regarding what it calls political advertising. Uh, but, you know, seriously, it's worse for the Americans. I'd rather be banned outright than have to jump through the hoops that any American Facebook advertiser will have to jump through if he has any political content in his post. Or maybe even in his product, I don't know. Quote, ads that include political content are defined as any ad that is made by, on behalf of, or about a current or former candidate for public office, a political party, a political action committee, or advocates for the outcome of an election to public office, or relates to any election, referendum, or ballot initiative, including get-out-the-voter election information campaigns, etc., etc., well, so far, their definition of political content seems clearly confined to what we would call electoral politics and electoral ads, those specifically designed to specifically endorse a specific candidate or a specific policy in a specific re referendum or plebiscite. I mean, that seems pretty straightforward. But then, on May 7th, things changed at Facebook. Here again, I'm quoting from their policy, quote, Changes for ad that include political content. First, the authorization process for advertisers running ads that include political content is only available for U.S. advertisers who reside in the U.S. and who plan to target the U.S. with ads. Starting in late spring of 2018, all U.S. advertisers targeting the U.S. will need to be authorized to create or run ads that include political content. Now, get this. This is an initial list, that means it's going to grow, of top-level issues that will be considered to require advertiser authorization and labeling for ads targeting the U.S. We expect this list may evolve over time. Now, are you ready for this? Here's a whole list of single words that you can't boost or promote if, it's, if you're talking about that anywhere in your post. Quote, abortion. Budget, civil rights, crime, economy, education, energy, environment, foreign policy, government reform, guns, health, immigration, infrastructure, military, poverty, social security, taxes, terrorism, and then get this one, values. Getting worried yet? I mean, this so-called authorization process is a nightmarish maze of arbitrary and ever-changeable and changing regulations that make, making, make filling out an income tax return look like a pleasure. And, you know, in 10-point type, I downloaded the instructions of how to register with Facebook if you want to post a commentary and, and boost it. It's 11 pages long. And that would take me longer than the entire time I have in the whole show to even be able to read half of them to you. But here's some of the things you have to have if you're going to register with Facebook to promote a simple post that mentions any of those topics that we just talked about. 
Quote, you'll want to have the following materials and information available to confirm your identity. A U.S. driver's license or U.S. passport. A U.S.-based residential mailing address. The last four digits of your social security number. And, they, and then they tell you, oh yeah, we're a trusted service provider. Don't worry, we won't misuse this information. <laughs> right after what we've just seen in the Congress. And then they say, what to do if you started the identity confirmation process but had your government ID rejected due to a naming mismatch? And then they get into all these regulations about how you have to provide them with your maiden name, married name, birth name, former name. And then you have to add disclaimers to everything that you post. And there's a whole pile of disclaimers. And at the end they say, was this information helpful? <laughs> Boy, it sure was helpful. We're definitely beginning to see the writing on the wall, and it sure isn't the Facebook wall anymore. You have to call it Fakebook now, don't you? Now, most Facebook users might come to the belief that this does not affect them because maybe they never boost their posts, an option, by the way, that's unavailable on a personal Facebook page in the first place. You have to have a, a business or a fan page to be able to do that. But it will most certainly have an effect on everyone and already has. I mean, in the end, what all of this does is both narrow the field of political discussion to only those approved by the Facebook fascists, and to dumb down the potential conversations even further than they already are. I mean, it's a perfect storm for the stormtroopers of the left. If you thought fake news was a problem in the past, uh, call it fake book or call it fascist book, that's what Facebook has developed into, and apparently with promises to regress even further into the pit of ignorance and irrelevance on matters that matter. Most of all, it appears to us that Facebook's arbitrary and ridiculous new regulations are really its way of expressing their utter contempt for Americans in the broadest sense possible. According to the very essence of their new policy, Americans have to be the stupidest people on the face of the planet who aren't even allowed to be exposed to ideas from other parts of the world in a day and age when the entire globe has been wired to connect us all with each other. Unbelievable. Shame on Facebook. Which certainly means that today's show cannot be promoted to Facebook's American market, a discussion which will now continue on yet another strange way of looking at left and right, as a coalition that can work together. And I have mixed feelings about what you're about to hear. On the one hand, I completely sympathize with the broader cause and the problem being addressed. On the other hand, I'm completely frustrated by the stream of political jargon and labels being used by one Paul Joseph Watson, who has been described in Wikipedia as, quote, an English YouTube personality and conspiracy theorist. He has been described as alt-right by multiple sources, though he does not associate himself with that label, instead identifying himself as a classical liberal. He publishes content that is critical of Islam, feminism, pop culture, and left-wing politics. He is the editor-at-large of Infowars.com, a fake news publication that promotes conspiracy theories about American and international politics, and a contributor to Infowars talk radio program, The Alex Jones Show, where he occasionally either hosts or co-hosts. Watson has been working on Infowars.com since October th 2002, and of August 2017 has over 1 million subscribers 
on his YouTube channel. End quote. Well, this is from Paul Joseph Watson's commentary on the recent election in Italy and of how a coalition of left and right factions is forming in reaction to the political and economic climate there. Not about left or right, but about left and right. In case you missed it, a political earthquake just hit Europe. An event that has the global elite truly terrified. In the most momentous challenge to the status quo in generations, Italy formed a populist government. Why does that matter? Because Italy's ruling populist left-right coalition is both anti-mass migration and Eurosceptic. If Italy's grand experiment succeeds, it serves as a template for the rest of Europe and a harbinger of doom for the survival of the European Union. If you doubt that, then just look at how EU Commissioner Gunther Ottinger reacted to the election, saying, quote, the markets will teach Italians to vote for the right thing. In other words, technocrats will punish you for exercising your democratic choice. An astounding level of arrogance, but one that we've come to expect from the EU. But worse than this, the globalists actually attempted to install a former IMF director and Europhile as Prime Minister, completely overriding the will of the people who voted for the exact opposite. They've got the nerve to call Viktor Orban an autocrat when he was democratically elected in a fair fight, while literally attempting to institute a bloodless coup to overturn the results of a national election. Juncker has the nerve to tell Italians to work harder and stop blaming the EU for its problems, when Italy's economic problems only began after they joined the Eurozone. Before that, they were a powerhouse. If you doubt how much Italy's populist coalition threatens the European elite, suffice to say, those globalist tears taste extra salty right now. While the new left-right coalition has numerous populist planks, the most important of which is undoubtedly its vehement opposition to mass immigration. League leader and interior minister Salvini has vowed to deport 500,000 illegal migrants. Luigi Di Maio, leader of the Five Star Movement, has also suggested that GDP will no longer be seen as the primary indicator of economic growth. This represents a wholesale rejection of neoliberalism and a return to a kind of localist, high Tory-style protectionist view that rampant capitalism and corporatism has massively eroded communities and culture. This idea that monopoly capitalism has in fact harmed social cohesion, diluted and vulgarised culture and corroded morality is one now taking root amongst increasing numbers of thinkers and influencers on the new right. Meanwhile, the League's Lorenzo Fontana, now Minister for Families, the new government plans to address Italy's plummeting birth rate by boosting welfare for mothers and providing free childcare facilities. By upholding the country's Catholic identity and proposing to register and monitor mosques, the populist coalition is also showing its intention to reassert Italy's Christian heritage. Italy's populist coalition has embarked on a policy program that every other European country should be looking to mirror. Italy has said no to mass immigration, no to the EU, no to the erosion of its cultural birthright. 
And starting with Sweden in September, we can now truly begin to hope that the rest of Europe will follow the same course. Now we have a new right. Give me a break. Another quote-unquote not right. <laughs> I don't know about you, but that sounds like the old left to me. Another contradictory term. Monopoly capitalism. A business or an enterprise could hold a monopoly, but only if one is granted by the state in which that business or enterprise exists. But capitalism cannot, by definition, hold a monopoly. I mean, capitalism is a socioeconomic condition under which the government does not interfere in the economic marketplace, but acts only as the referee, preventing coercion from becoming the key market force rather than the free choices of individuals in that marketplace. What does exist that is being called monopoly capitalism is really monopoly socialism and fascism, or as we like to say, crony socialism. Those things go hand in hand, exactly like the quote-unquote hallmarks of democratic socialist policy that we heard about earlier that MSNBC was propaganding about you know, government-run health care, education, welfare, transportation, and so on. Quote, Italy formed a populist government, a left-right coalition that shares in common anti-mass migration and Euroscepticism, end quote. That may be, but immigration, migration, and skepticism, for that matter, are not the defining characteristics of the right or of the left. Immigration or migration, like from where to where? Those are the key questions, the key considerations. I mean, as an extreme example, if you lived in a totally free nation and the people of every nation around you were out to destroy you and your freedom, you think immigration would really be a wise decision in that case? No, you'd want to be keeping those borders pretty tight. I mean, these issues and questions are secondary to left and right essentials. And when EU Commissioner Gunther Oettinger is cited as saying, the market will teach Italians to do the right thing. And, quote, well, Paul Joseph Watson was quite right in pointing out in his own words that the, quote, market to which Ottinger is referring is not a free one, but a central state regulated one. Sounds like he's planning his own trade war with countries who no longer share the EU fantasy. And then, of course, quote, the five-star movement leader says, that GDP will no longer be seen as the key indicator of economic growth, a wholesale rejection of neoliberalism and a return to localist high Tory-style protectionist view that rampant capitalism and corporatism has massively eroded communities and culture. Uh, there we go again. It's always capitalism that get blamed for everything. And rampant capitalism, no less. <laughs> you know where I heard terms like that before? From the leaders of all three of Ontario's major political parties, way back as long as 1983, when I quoted all of them condemning, quote, unbridled capitalism, that was the word they used then, in favor of their respective socialist agendas. And that was Bill Davis, David Peterson, and Bob Ray, all on the same unbridled capitalism path. <laughs> it's going down that path. Yeah, we don't want any unbridled capitalism. We want to bridle it. And that means government-controlled economies. 
And this is interesting, what he says about Lorenzo Fontana, now Minister of Families, and that he's calling on the new government to boost welfare for mothers and provide free child care facilities. And by upholding the nation's Catholic identity and reassert the Christian heritage of the country, etc., etc. Well, let's not forget that the Catholic and Christian country of Italy was easy prey for fascism, and certainly until their defeat in World War II. But the countries Italy was at war with were also religious on varying terms and also succumbed to fascism. What I'm hearing here, whether intended to sound conspiratorial or not, is yet a renewed call for fascism. It's not monopoly capitalism, quote-unquote, that's the problem. It's crony socialism that's the problem. I cannot for a moment believe that the nations involved in this discussion have any condition approaching capitalism, like, you know, as in an economy free of government ownership, of government control, free of government price-fixing, which was also part of MSNBC's democratic socialism ideology. Fascism is another way of saying government-controlled and managed economies. It does not mean free economies, free of coercion by criminals or by state, which is the essential definition and distinction that belongs only to capitalism. Both history and philosophy have demonstrated why, in the field of tyranny and totalitarianism on the left, fascism has always been the more effective and efficient one than socialism. There's a reason for that. It's because the fascists dispensed with the ownership of private property and only passed laws to control the use of property, otherwise ostensibly left in the ownership of private individuals, in name only, of course. Hitler and the Nazis were highly efficient at this, and this is what earned them the admiration of fascists and leftists the world over, particularly the Democratic Party in the United States, as we learned last week on the show. A person who believes that he or, he or she still owns his or her own property will always have a personal stake in it, in some hopes that they will somehow regain the, the rightful control of their property in the future. I mean, the Nazis took over all kinds of private enterprises and retooled them for the war effort, and in the process, quote-unquote, created jobs and prosperity for the German people that ultimately came at the price of total destruction of the entire nation. And this would represent, certainly, not a turn to the right, but a further step towards the left. So be sure to join us again next week when we will continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be all right. Joe! Joe! Joe, it's over! The war is over! <laughs> well, Hogan, what do you say now? Uh, I don't know what to think. What are you planning on doing, Colonel? I mean, if the war is really over. Well, back to civilian life. You know, Hogan, a man with my experience as a bookkeeper shouldn't have any trouble finding work. All the big companies need bookkeepers. How about you, Schultz? I was in toys. But the government took over the toy factory for the war effort. Now that the war is over, I hope they're going to give back the toy factory that we can make toys again.
And what company was it, Schultz? The Schatzi Toy Company. Oh. Hogan, you wouldn't know about that, but the Schatzi Toy Company is the biggest toy company in all of Germany. Uh, Schultz, do you think your boss will give you your old job back, huh? Why not? I'm the boss. You own the Schatzi Toy Company. Jawohl. Schultz, would you like a cigar? Thank you, Colonel. Oh, please don't call me Colonel. Call me Wilhelm. Danke, Wilhelm. 